Hey everybody, Vinny Shoshelsky here, The Fit Musician One uh, podcast, episode number three with Mr. Phil Dillon, good friend of mine who I've known for a long time, uh, incredible musician, wonderful human being, tennis pro, uh, gosh man, he kind of does it all. Um, you can get in touch with us on Instagram and Facebook at Fit Musician One. Also, fitmusician1.com, and if you've got an email, question, or suggestion, or just to kind of tell us to get off the air, uh, Vinny at uh, fitmusician1.com. This, um, this podcast is to give our musical friends, musicians, information about fitness, um, nutrition, uh, lifestyle, um, in regards to playing and creating music. Really looking forward to hearing uh, from our good friend, Phil Dillon today. Phil, how you doing? I'm great, how you good. doing? Awesome, fantastic. Um, hang tight, y'all, and we will be right back. Here with Phil Dillon on the Fit Musician One, episode three. Phil, tell us, uh, tell us where you come from, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Buffalo, New York. Buffalo, New York. Um, went to junior high and high school there, the whole nine yards? The whole thing. <clears throat> Walked to grammar school, school nice. of 65. Yeah. Up, uphill both ways in up, the snow. In the snow. Yeah. Always snow. <laughs> and uh, are you a sports fan of any of the teams up there? Are you still a Bills fan? I still follow the Bills. They're sort of my boys. So, yeah. 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 One day. I mean... <laughs> Yeah. yeah. You had four chances. I mean, good God. <laughs> oh, we're going to go there now? <laughs> well, I mean, I think you even started. It's all right. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> so when did you, for, your primary instrument is guitar. Yes. Right. <clears throat> so basically now you're a guitar player. You sing, mm -hmm. songwriter. Mm -hmm. um, you own a studio, mm -hmm. which uh, you and I have done many, many sessions at. Yep. Uh, horn overdubs for, for different artists. And uh, you're a, a teaching Tennis pro. Yes. Yeah. Pretty awesome. Okay. So when did you when did your um, interest in music start when you were a kid? I I can point right to the moment that I knew I wanted to sing. It was at my grandmother's house in Wellsville, New York, and Frank Sinatra came on singing "When Somebody Loves You," and he uh. hit all the way. And I heard that, and I got tingles, and I went, "I want to do that." <laughs> I was like maybe ten years old. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. How about the guitar? When did you start playing guitar? Shortly after. I was a drummer before I was anything. Oh, really? Played in, in the in the uh, grammar school uh, band and orchestra. And then <clears throat> played in the high school band and orchestra. Played uh, snare drum, timpanis, uh, bass drum, cymbals, whatever. Cool. Yeah. Nice. Um, so played through high school. When did you, were you like a... Were you a fan of, of that particular genre, or did you like all kind of music all, all the way around? The oh, I like popular music uh, very much, and, and um, Buffalo is such a, a hotbed of, of really good, especially really good rock and roll because of the great Stan Celeste, and that's a other story. But um, So I was influenced by local musicians heavily, heavily, nice. because Stan... I'll tell you quick about Stan. Yeah, he, please do. This is 1959. He goes from Buffalo to Toronto to join Ronnie Hawkins and the Hawks. Uh, and Stan's a boogie-woogie piano player. And, of course, Levon's the drummer and Robbie Robertson's the guitar player. <laughs> Danko hadn't quite made it along yet, but he came later. So those guys, Toronto's only an hour and a half from Buffalo. Yeah. Those guys would come to Buffalo all the time to sit in with Stan and the Ravens, Stan's band. 
Nice. So that's the kind of education we all grew up with. Me, Caputi, Stewart. Uh, yeah. Wow. Those were the older guys, you know. Wow. That's incredible. So you knew, um, you knew right away. Did you ever want to do anything else? Oh, no, not at all. I knew I wrote my first song when I was 12. I, I could still sing that for you right now. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm, it's I'm a, a few bars. No. <laughs> it's not very good, but you could tell I understood the components to sure. put it together. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I was that kid in my bedroom with an acoustic guitar, dropping the needle on the, on the record to figure out that chord, yeah. you know, to that great Beatles song or whatever. Yeah. 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 Oh, good. That's awesome. When did you uh, When did you discover that you could play tennis? <clears throat> Not until 1985. <laughs> years later. Wow. So were you already in Nashville at that point? Did no, you... I was in Buffalo. Okay. Yeah. When did you come to Nashville? 94. October. Uh, August 94. I was it. I was just just in front of you. Late late 92. Yeah, and you were playing with <clears throat> with Hinchy and Stewart and John Genethis. Yeah. That whole band. Who else was in that band? A lot uh, of guys. Donnie was Don in that band. Barrett, yeah. who I still play with today. Yeah. Of course, Hinchy, you know, we play with all we play all the time. Right. Mostly recording now. But we uh, John and I did the Martina McBride gig. Oh, that was a great that was a great version. And that horn section was killer, buddy. I gotta tell you. You had all the right people in that. That was so so much fun. Although I did almost have to check into rehab and break off that game. Whoa! I'm not encouraging anybody else to do that, or unless you need to go to rehab. You know? Okay. I'm sorry. All right. Uh, did you go to college? No. No. Okay. Um, so, so when did you move to Nashville? Oh, no, 94. Okay. So 85. You discover. How old are you in 85? I let's see. Do you want to, um, the mid thirty? I'm 34, 30, 35, 36. So yeah. had you been playing? Before? No, you just picked it up. Here's what happened: <laughs> me and two other buddies would go to Delaware Park in the summer. You know, and summers are pretty short in Buffalo, <laughs> and we would play. And we were god awful, but we were all god awful together, so we were fine. Come Labor Day, we know it's going to be less and less likely we can play outside. <clears throat> so we asked some of the ladies we'd come to know who play there all the time. Where do you guys go when the winter comes? They, oh, you go to the Buffalo Tennis and Racquetball Center on Elmwood. Okay. It's a public place. Anyone can book a court. They have a bar. It's up, you know, overlooks the courts. I'm in. <laughs> Tennis and booze. I mean, you know, you can't go wrong. So being a musician, I had my days <clears throat> free all the time. So I would go, go to the, the club in the morning and hope that some one lady would not show up for their doubles group so I could run down and sub. And I was terrible. Oh, it's got awful. But they would rather have somebody, you know, rather than have to play Canadian doubles, which is two-on-one. You know, sure, right. So uh, hanging around, hanging around. Finally, the manager of the club, about a year into it, goes, hey, Phil, how would you like to be my league director? You know all these people and stuff. Well, you know, he just... You'll you'll put together the schedules and you know, okay, great. So just as I'm doing that, they hire a new head pro named Dave Totteroff, and he was the guy that changed my my world as far as tennis went. He was a great player, just won the city singles uh, open. He's a frustrated musician. <laughs> oh, this is a perfect, sax, he's a sax player. Perfect bromance, right? We here. became best buddies and. 
he helped me and I helped him and, and he encouraged me to go down to, to uh, uh, Hilton Head and get certified with the PTR. And he said, if you do that, no matter what rating you get, I'll use you as my assistant pro next indoor season. So 86, I go and get my certification. And How did you do? I got the best you could get. Of course you did. And it's not because, this is, this is why tennis has been so good for me. It's not because I was a better player. Teaching has nothing to do with playing, what, what your playing chops are, sure. to a certain degree. Um, I was able to read the room and know, you know what they were really looking at. There were about 30 of us in this class. It was called Tennis University. And they picked up on that. They knew that. And plus, to me, I, I immediately, the moment I stepped on a court, it was like stepping on a stage. These people are here to be entertained, and I'm going to entertain them. Yeah. There's no difference. Yeah. But, you yeah. know, the subject is different, but yeah. it's a, I saw the entertainment value of it. That's good, because yeah. you were coming at it from the musical side. That's, that's, uh, that's, that's where your brain works. That's pretty cool. So, 94. So, you, you, you worked there for almost 10 years. Right, you worked with him. Oh, I left BTRC, went to the Village Glen, was out, which was out in the in the uh, in the nicer neighborhood. Hoity toity, and worked there for a couple of years. Then went back to BTRC, and then in '89 got hired at the Park Country Club as their head pro. And all, I, all the people up in Buffalo were going, "Ooh, <laughs> oh. I don't think so. I don't think so." But, and that's, I worked from there from 89 to 94 when we came here. Incredible, incredible. You're, you're married? Married for um, 30. Get it right. Oh, you better get it right. Oh, yeah. This is permanent right here. Uh, 39 not, years. 39 But years. eight before that, so, so yeah. Wow, that's a good run, dude. Yeah, it's, it's very Were you good. guys like high school sweethearts now? No, we met in 72, 73. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, I had hair down to here. I don't believe that. <laughs> Not for a minute. Um, let's see. So, and you have two kids. Two boys, Andrew and Chris. And you're a new grandfather. Yep, eight weeks ago. That is incredible. Evie. Uh, that's incredible. Evie, and uh, she lives, uh, you know, within uh, within driving distance, which is good. But uh, yeah. Uh, so that's awesome. So, and you've given obviously given your kids the tools to be awesome human beings because you're an awesome human being <laughs> thanks Vinny. um <laughs> the boys are pretty awesome they really are that's both good. very successful and great people that's good man I'm, I'm glad you'll get to watch them continue to grow and and then uh and then hopefully you'll have a gaggle of those grandkids that <laughs> you can sugar up and give back that's what i'm looking forward yes, to think about it. we don't eat sugar here at the house but we we try and fill them full of your love and goodness and, sure. then, and then tell them to Get the hell out <laughs> before I get um, them all riled up before, right before bedtime. That is perfect, yeah. perfect, and send them home. Okay, so you get here in '94. Are you in the house that you're in now? Mm -hmm. Okay, love still that place. same one. Very yeah. cool with the with the and the, so you look and you've got the perfect space downstairs for the studio. I remember you and I didn't we used to work on DA88s. No, I, what did you have? When I came to town, I had half-inch 16. Did we ever do ADATs or any of that? We stuff? did ADATs. I, ADATs. I went to ADATs after this, the the uh, the Fostex, yeah. I don't know if we ever worked on the Fostex. I do remember the ADATs, and I remember you would you would play, you know, it was three horn players, and you'd play, not in your particular studio, but although I'm sure it happened there, you'd play eight bars, and you'd be like, yeah, that was a good one, and the engineer would go, <clears throat> 
didn't really lock up, so we're going to have to do it. <laughs> That's the A-Dads. <laughs> come on, come on, I'm <laughs> to the punch point. <laughs> I know. So much easier now with Pro Tools and and, uh, and the different digital programs. So yeah. we made uh, some really cool records. Let's talk about your music career. So you kicked around local bands up there? or uh, In Buffalo, in yeah. Buffalo. Well, plus I was a solo. You know, right. I'm a singer-songwriter. I go out and do 36 songs a night, yeah. just me and my guitar. Yeah. And when you moved to Nashville, what was what was kind of your goal musically? To be a songwriter, to, to get song. to get a to get a, a you know a, a publishing deal. Right. And I did not come here to be an engineer producer, but that's Nashville has a way of turning you into what it wants you to be. Sure. And it's and it's and, and look, it's all part of uh, <clears throat> it's all part of this. It's all part of the same thing. One of the one of the most prolific trumpet players in Nashville, um, my friend Mike Haynes. Uh, Incredible human, really great musician, amazing. Got his real estate license and loves it. He is, he's, we've done all of our houses and everything with him. Mm -hmm. He's really fantastic. And so, you know, it's just one of those things. You're, you're, a, you're a trumpet player or a trombone player and you're a ranger. Hinch is a good, a good example of that. Right. Our friend John Hinchy, who, who's a super cool guy and a really gifted um, player and a ranger. I don't think you can do just one thing. I think you got to be ready to to really do a lot of different things too. I was very fortunate. Um, when I moved down here, I had three good friends to help me. One was Stuart Ziff, the other was Harry Stinson, and the other was Steve Nathan, mm -hmm. people who I'd had long history with. And each and every one of them, I'll, I'll never forget what Steve said at one time, which was perfect. He goes, and Phil, don't, don't look for me to be booking you on sessions, you know, <laughs> next week. That's not going to happen. That is not, not going to happen. Um, Harry was the one I looked to who wore many different hats. He's a great drummer, great singer, great songwriter, great MD, just, and a great human being, you know. And then Stuart was the one that just kept plugging me into guys like you and, and girls like Allison and, and Prestwood, by the way. Um, <clears throat> You know, I was really lucky. I fell into the stream, you know, yeah. with, with a little bit of a run, you know. I think that I think that when you are a quality person doing quality work, you know, that, that kind of works itself out. Yeah. Kind of works itself out. So, so tell me a little bit about. Um, just give me a timeline from '94 to present, musically, uh, songs you've written, people you've played with, records you've <coughs> recorded. Just give me a little bit of that. Well. From almost day one, Stuart and I started writing at least twice a week. Mm -hmm. Stuart was enjoying his, his success with Thinking Problem. Yep. Um, and a lot of other good writers wanted to write with Stuart, so we were all writing together. I, I started writing with the great Billy Henderson, who used to write for Rick Hall and oh, yeah. good fame. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> started writing with, uh, with Carson Witsit. Yeah. Quality a, guy. That's, that's heavy right yeah. there. <laughs> um, and... Uh, we were doing the demos at my place. You know, Michael Clark was playing a drum cat with D, D drum sounds and stuff because I wasn't doing real drums yet. But Stuart is the one that pushed me into to putting a whole rhythm section in the room. I'd always gone one thing at a time, MIDI, yeah. Yeah. you know, sequencing the, you know, with Simpty. And, and I can hear Stuart. I can, I can almost <laughs> hear what he would say about that as, as much of a purist as he is. And I don't think we can repeat it here on the air. <laughs> Stuart Ziff, just so you know, um, really good friend of ours, really good friend of, of Phil's. He's out in L.A. He's playing with War. He's still writing. 
Is he still working for, what's it called? Guitar player? No, the, ta- the, the music service where he would... People would send the songs in and I Oh, an called? evaluation thing. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if he still does that. Yeah. I don't. But, but he, he co-wrote uh, Thinking Problem for David Ball. Along with Alan Shamblin, yeah. who's that, a co-writer on I Can't Make You Love Me. Which is, I mean, you know, that's, that's pretty pretty good company there. But they, they had a hit with that Thinking Problem for a Made long time. Made it up time. to number two. Yeah, <clears throat> that's awesome. Okay, yeah. so just, just to let the folks know who, who the heck we're talking about. So you're plugged in, you got your rhythm section, you're doing the demos at the... Uh, at the studio. Plus, Stuart and I had formed a publishing company called Winging It Music with a, a, another old friend of Stuart's, uh, John Sansone, for, who was also from Buffalo. We kept it in the family. It's like a mafia <clears throat> thing, man. Uh, it kind of, a little, a little, a little bit. A little, a little bit. bit. Um, <clears throat> so we were actively, you know, scouring the row facts and pitching songs. Back in those days, it was on the cassette, and you put the, you folded up the lyric sheet, and the, you know, the, the rubber bands, and that's oh, how you yeah. pitch songs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Nothing like a linear world. <laughs> but we didn't get any songs cut until I I had pitched a song of mine called Now That We're Not a Family to Lisa Brokop. It was on her second album for Capital. And Jerry Crutchfield was the producer and he passed. So, okay, that's fine. Because we had an in with Lisa's uh, manager, Paul, I can't remember his last name. Um, and then about, I don't know, six weeks later, we're looking at the Rofax and we see that Josh, um, um, why am I going blank now? Great producer, guitar player, Josh. Oh, Josh Leo. Thank you. Josh Leo is producing Lisa. <clears throat> so we go, okay, we're going we're gonna to resubmit the song now and let Josh hear it. Well, Unbeknownst to us, Lisa had gotten a phone call from her assistant at the time telling her about a dream she had about now that we're not a family. And that's somebody, some big female artist had a huge hit with it. So Lisa, oh, well, I'm, I like that song. I did blah, blah, blah. She goes into Paul's office the next day. There's the cassette. <laughs> Holy crap. So they listen and they cry their eyes out because it's a sad song. And then they pick up Josh and Josh is in the back seat crying his eyes out. <laughs> and they cut it with the, the Nashville A team at, oh. at um, I think it was at RCA uh, A. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So I got my first cut. I'd been in town for 14 months. That hardly happens. That, very rarely. Hardly happens. Yeah. yeah, very rarely. So that was nice. It was a song I wrote alone. I wrote it actually back in Buffalo. And this is '95, so if you get a if you get a cut and it turns into a hit, you could actually make money. I made I'm, it was an album cut, but I made significant money. That's, yes, that's nice. <laughs> As opposed to the those two cent checks I have posted on my billboard. Yeah, you don't even cash them. They're not no, no. like the postage was more than the. Well, but but two cents is probably like uh, fifteen or twenty thousand streams now. <laughs> it's it's absurd. Yeah, it's absurd. Um. So from there, songwriting. Lots of songwriting. I mean, I'm from '94 till 2000 when Stewart left. Yeah. But also in between there, that I I ended up becoming friends with Jimmy Knowles. Nice. That's and, not bad company. Yeah, and I met him through Stewart and Dave Duncan. Yeah. And uh, that Jim, they had a song on a session that we were cutting demos on, <clears throat> and I got to know Jimmy, and then. After working for a while together with Jimmy on these these demos, 
um, he was producing Rick Moore and the Mr. Lucky Band, and they were looking for a studio to come do pre-production recording. So they came and worked with me. Nice. And they asked me to find them a studio, so I found them Nick Sparks' place when he was on Woodmont. Eclectic Studios. Yeah. And that's where that whole thing comes from, because Stuart was in on that. Yeah. And he introduced, uh, I think he introduced Hinch. And then that's from that, Lloyd Berry and I did, probably did, God, we probably done a thousand records at Nick's place. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was was way more, it was better set up than yeah. my place. Mine's in my basement, you yeah. know. <laughs> But it's still my basement. It's nice, but it's a basement. I mean, come on. But uh, so what happened was uh, Nick was happy that I brought this project to him, so he hired me as his assistant engineer. Nice. Great. So we're in their first day of tracking, and Jimmy and Rick keep looking at me and go, what do you think? You know, because we had a working relationship, you know? I don't know. I don't know about the four on the floor, man. Maybe and Jimmy's going, yeah, just just one in three. Mike Oregon was the drummer. Yeah, no, no four on the floor, please. So it was a lot of that back and forth. By by the time we get to after lunch, I'm an associate producer. <laughs> <laughs> but I still had to make the coffee and change the reels. Oh, of course you did. You had two jobs that day. That's good. You had two jobs. That's awesome, man. Oh, so and that so that led to Rick's first record, which I love, and then that led to Jimmy's solo record, "Ain't No Stranger," which yeah. is a beautiful piece of work, and uh-huh. still to this day is is just stunning. Where could somebody listening to this podcast see your um, songwriter credits? What's the what's kind of the <clears throat> probably all music? Yeah, allmusic.com. Yeah, yeah, probably, and we'll include a lot of these links at the end. Um, and you're still obviously doing stuff out of the studio. So if somebody was coming to town and they wanted yeah. to work with a somewhat famous uh, songwriter, associate producer, and assistant engineer, <laughs> you had a guy. And barista. <laughs> and basement renovator. Yes. Uh, yeah, so... Um, so we'll we'll include some uh, we'll include some contact information for that. So that's fantastic. So um, you started a new band. Yeah, 67 years old, I decided it was time to put a band together again. <laughs> you know how bands are. Sure. It's, it's like it's like in that Tom Hanks movie uh, where where, where uh, um, that thing you do. Oh yeah. Remember the yeah. the Dell Dell telling the kid, you yeah. know, bands break up, son. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> Watch your money. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, and it's a really cool band with the. Uh, Myself, Bob Hatter, um, Mike Caputi on drums, Paulo Sola on bass, and uh, Al Hill on piano and vocals. Nice, fantastic. Good, <laughs> good bunch of guys. After the first re- first number at the first rehearsal, we all went. Yeah, yeah. This is gonna be good. This is not gonna <laughs> suck. Uh, what what what's the material that you guys are doing? It's mostly mine and Al's material. Al's a great writer. Boogie Woogie, New Orleans style piano, and a great voice. He's from Ann Arbor, Michigan, originally. We won't hold that against him. Yeah, well, he's been here a long time now. And then my stuff, some of it from the Jimmy Knowles record. I have a few cuts on that record. And and then just fun, like cool, uh, we got this cool John Cleary song, Everything I Do Got to Be Funky, and and, uh, we're doing a meter song, People Say. So just groovy stuff yeah man. cool Good. that's awesome and uh i'm sure we'll be able to uh, get a link over to where you'll have a calendar and people will be able to come out and see you uh in nashville and yeah that'd be and great places 
Um, so let's go back to 94 and tell me about the, what happened with tennis once you got here. Okay. <clears throat> Before we even left Buffalo, I had written a cover letter to every PTR teaching pro in the Middle Tennessee area. How, so, many, how many is that? That, that was about 20 at the time. There's yeah. a lot more now. Yeah. Um, just saying, hi, I'm moving to town, blah, 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 but this is my shtick, and blah, 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 blah. And if you point me in any directions, you know, just that kind of sure. letter. Well, <clears throat> I got two replies. One was from Dennis Covington, who was then the head pro at, at Richland Country Club. And the other one was from Andy Veal, who was the director of tennis at Maryland Farms. Okay. I ended up going to meet with Andy. I met with Dennis, too, and, and he wasn't really looking for anybody, but he was willing to point Help. me. Yeah. yeah, sure. Went to meet with Andy, and, and uh, um, I had to, like, audition for him. I, I, it was a Labor Day <laughs> It was a Labor Day party, and I had to go out and play with some of the ladies and stuff. You know, sure. wanted to see how I handle myself. Yeah, sure. And anyway, so I end up working at Maryland Farms. By October, I'm I'm on the staff there. Nice. Which turns out to be one of the greatest places that any any songwriter could hope to be. I'm giving lessons to Joe and Fran Galanti, to Jim Mazza, to you know, to Tom Collins. I mean, I'm I'm talking to Felix Cavalieri while he's on the rowing machine, you know. That's hysterical. Oh Rodney Crowell and I are shooting the breeze out on the front porch. You know, it's it's it was a place to meet people. Yeah. My best my very best connections were made there. But always on their you know on, at their request. Sure. Yeah, I'll never forget one day, Joe Galani, we're picking up balls. It was right after Thanksgiving. And I go, so Joe, what would you guys do for Thanksgiving? Oh, we had some artists over, you know, uh, the, the, this and that. And Lori Morgan, I go, ah, Lori Morgan. I just wrote with a guy that has a Lori Morgan uh, gold record. Who's that? Carson Whitsitt. <laughs> Dear me. So the next week when he comes in, and we're sh we shoot the movies. Now, ne next week he comes in. And he goes, what you been working on? I said, well, Billy Henderson and I, and Billy had written 10,000 Angels yeah. for his girl at the sure. time. Yeah. And he knew Billy and I were writing. So even before we get out, out to hit some balls, he goes, hey, call the office in the morning, make an appointment, come in and play me some songs. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it had to be his, his idea, not mine. Sure. I would never ask. I would never have asked. So you separate those two worlds very well. You have to. Until they mingle and always at the request of, of, uh, of somebody you're teaching or a client. That's Absolutely, good. you have to. And one of the best things that came along, and thank you, Billy Henderson, who is also a great tennis player, um, the Music City Tennis Invitational, which has been going on now for 45 years, put on by the music industry, mainly, uh, Patsy Bradley's the biggest proponent of it at BMI. But at the, when I first started, it was Paul Worley when he was at uh, Warner Brothers. Okay. And uh, so, it, and it was all music people in the tennis world doing a benefit, you know, a charity uh, tennis tournament at Vanderbilt. Yeah. So every year you run into these people, and it's it's, it's just those networks, you yeah, know. That's great. James that's Slater great. would be there playing. He played tennis, and then he'd entertain us at the Saturday night party with Max, yeah. uh, Max, who's out with the Mavericks, Max. Oh, Abrams. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Max is a good friend. Um, so you have. But you're not at Maryland Farms now. No, I left there in uh, 2016, maybe 2015. Okay. Yeah, just had enough. 22 years. Yeah. Yeah. Just it's it's it was it, it, oh, it's time. Uh, yeah. It's time. That's good. Um, 
So you're teaching a pretty eclectic mix, all ages? Yeah, like today I had three hours of juniors. Yeah. Five and six-year-olds, seven to ten-year-olds, and then 11 to 18-year-olds. Yeah. So. And you're, you're in addition to teaching, you're obviously evaluating talent and telling the parents what they need to do and if you think that they can move to the to the next level and whatnot and all that stuff. We try to do that. We, <clears throat> we have a sort of a conveyor belt thing where once they leave me, they go over to uh, to some of the other coaches, Mike Hurley being one of them, who coaches Mount Juliet High School's mm-hmm. tennis team, very successful team. So it's, it's yeah, we, we, it's, with, as far as the juniors go, yeah, we try to keep them moving up. Yeah. Have you ever run into a situation, and, and this, this, this is how our musician friends will be able to relate to this. You and I were talking before we started the podcast, and I said, you know, for as long as I've been in Nashville, uh, sometimes there's so much music and there's so many gigs and there's so many sessions, you can't even think about doing anything else. And then there's the next week. Right. Uh, or the next month. Or a lot of white season. in your book. Yeah. <laughs> right. I think they're called tumbleweeds. Yeah, so... Um, looking for the very perfect part-time job that you love to do that you had passion for that you could do anytime you wanted to so have you ever run into a situation where the two your two careers as a as a tennis pro and as a musician and all that encompasses have clashed and if so how did you deal with the conflict it has come up but I usually can see it coming you know, right. so that I can adjust, right. you know, and that's the beauty of tennis and music, especially tennis. If you and I are scheduled to be on court on Monday night at 730 and something cool like playing the Opry comes up. You're going to be able to call me. I'm going to call you and say, I, I, I got a chance to play on the Opry tonight yeah. and you're going to go cool. I go, can we, can we, can we do it tomorrow or, you know, can we reschedule? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then same thing musically. Um, I remember I had to, I had done all the um, adroit record stuff. That was Jim Track, bless his heart, doing all songwriters' versions of their hit songs. Vince Melamed doing "Walk Away Joe," you know, Craig Bickhart doing uh, "In Between Dances," you know, um, just great, great stuff. Um, but for the, there was one last EP I was going to do on Lisa Carver, and I had taken over, just taken the job at Donaldson Indoor Tennis because Maryland Farms was running it, to run the, to run the place. Sure. And I had to tell Jim I couldn't do Lisa's record. And Jim and I had formed such a great working relationship, you know. We, we anticipated well, you know, it was great. Um, and he was bummed. I felt bad. Yeah. And then it wasn't long after that that he passed away. Yeah. <clears throat> but so, yes, there's been some clashes, but yeah. usually I just had to... Like I say, with that, I had to let them know that I don't know what I'm in for right. with this new job, and I, I don't want to commit to you and then have to bail on you. Yeah. You know, I got to say no. And, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's the same way with working musicians all the time. On the classical side, you know, those guys are booked months, months, and months. And right. Anybody that's playing with the National Symphony knows their schedule way ahead of time. But there have been several occasions uh, years ago, man, um, uh, I got a call from Matt Rollins. And in the background was a um, uh, bass player that they played with all the time, ball guy. Uh, um, Michael Rhodes. Michael Rhodes. And it was the crew. It was Paul Lyme. And it, I mean, it was the guys. Right. And, and, and uh, I got a call. Vinny, what are you doing? And I was in the middle of whatever it was, something crazy. 
uh, work related and they said, hey man, we're doing a record and we need some trumpet. What are you doing? I said, when do you need me there? And they said, well, now <laughs> would be awesome. And I said, I'll be there in 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, I think it was Tracy Bird and uh, the producer. Tony Brown. Tony Brown was there, man. And so, yeah, Tony Brown. And so I'm standing there. This is this is a great story. I just got to tell this. I'm trying to think of the guitar player that was there. Uh, uh, starts with a B. Brent Mason. Brent Mason. So we're all standing in the control room. And I've known Matt from the Lyle Lovett days forever. I've right. known Michael for a while. I know, I know these guys. The rest of the guys I know cursorily, I've never met Brent. Brent. Brent is standing behind me over my left shoulder. This is Big Vin, and I'm nervous as all get out. And Tony, they're playing the demo. They're getting ready to play the demo. They play it. We're all standing there. These guys are, you know, jotting down their charts as we go. I'm just amazed that they're, what's them numbers you're putting down there, boy? <laughs> and uh, and, and uh, the trumpet, other trumpet player, Steve Patrick, good friend of mine. Great. I know Steve. Great, yeah, yeah, great, great player here in town. Does a lot of sessions also. Um, he and I are kind of thinking about these parts that we're going to make up. I think the original key was D. Yeah, now, Not fun for you guys. But here, but here's the thing. Tony looks at us and goes, hey, Vin, we're thinking about doing this in D flat or D. Which key do you prefer? And me, in my ultimate wisdom, Brent will not remember this story, but in my ultimate wisdom, I said, well, let's do the one that's the easiest for the guitar player. <laughs> <laughs> and he was right behind you, right? Right behind me. So look, the room just erupts in laughter. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I'm in. I'm in. I'm going to be on the A team. I'm going to be first call. I'm going to be double skill. I turn around and Brent is stone-faced looking at me. Just, I wish you could see it. It's hysterical. He's looking at me like, like I cut him. Like I, like I talk bad about his mom and for about ten, what seemed like an hour but it was probably about 10 seconds he holds it and then he busts out laughing and oh thought, that's oh, good yeah <laughs> let you off the hook that's hysterical you know you don't really that's, I, here's one of those things I can't tell you the things that you should do to get to a point in your career where you've done almost 6,000 records okay but I can tell you some of the things that you shouldn't, shouldn't. do, and that is one of them. Okay, so a little tidbit for the day. Hysterical. Okay, so um, is there anything? Let's let's talk about. I, I don't know if this happens often, but let's talk about a songwriting appointment. And and here in Nashville, Tennessee, um, like if in the movies you'll be driving along in the car and you'll see a beautiful sunset and it'll inspire you to write a song while you're in the car and you, you stop on the side of the road and you jot it down on a piece of paper. Here in Nashville, Tennessee, it's not nearly that romantic. <laughs> you call the guy, you call your writer guy, Carson, and you say, uh, uh, 10 o'clock on Monday. And at 10 o'clock on Monday, you come in with your best ideas and you bang them off of each other and by 11.30, you're going to lunch or you're on to your next appointment. Right. It's it's very cut and dry. It's very business like. Very. Um, well, I totally forgot what I was going to ask you. I was telling my own story there. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. What we want to talk about is a day where you you have uh, you've written a song in the morning, and you've got some tennis lessons in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. Tell me what you do like uh, 
what do you eat? What do you do? Because you know you need a certain amount of uh, mental focus for your for your for both of those tasks. Sure. <clears throat> What's what? What are you looking at uh, nutrition wise? My my diet is very boring, but um, but still really good because Jane's an excellent cook. Um, I I eat breakfast every day. I, first of all, I, I I have two three cups of coffee, um, and then I have some uh, some uh, water and Metamucil. Yeah. Um, cause you know, okay. you just I, get I do to, it every day. Yeah. Then I take my, my supplements. I take, um, CBD oil twice a day. Nice. Yeah. Under the tongue. Yeah. Helping with the joints and the oh, muscles. God. And I haven't taken an, an ibuprofen in over a year. Killer. Yeah. Fantastic. Dave Duncan at Music City Hemp. Nice. We'll yeah. get a, we'll get a link to that. Music yeah. City Hemp. Awesome. Um, then I'll have, uh, probably some kind of eggs and some bacon. Yeah. And uh, always fruit, always lots of fruit, okay. vegetables. Um, and then I'm good. I'll, I'll, I'll come back again and eat around 1 2 o'clock. And okay. then I don't eat anything else for the rest of the day. No dinner. No dinner. Cut dinner out five years ago, easy. Get out of town. Yeah. I'm not hungry. Yeah. And I, I sleep better and, you know. <laughs> yeah. That's because your stomach's not working on digesting all that food. Right, right. So you, but you, but you don't aspire, uh, you don't, uh, you don't uh, stick to anything where you're not eating bread or you're eating more of this or you're eating more of that. You know, you're just kind of balanced and, and smart. I try to be smart about sugar. Yeah. And, and about carbs, but <clears throat> I mean, yeah, I have bread in the morning yeah, yeah. and then like right now, I know there's a whole bunch of rice and beans in the fridge. <laughs> I love those. Can't wait to get home to eat those. <laughs> um, okay. What about water? All day. This is my this is my four, fifth bottle today. So fifth, sixteen. That's 70, 75, 80 ounces yeah. already today. And so. again, remember, I'm outside in the sun for three hours. Of so so yeah. I, I'm, you know. You got one of those. If you don't have a tennis racket in your hand, you have a water bottle. Yeah. I think I think water is the key to absolutely everything. It just uh, it keeps the toxins out of your body. It yeah. regu regulates every part of your body. It just keeps you. It, it, it keeps you going. Okay. Um, that is some cool stuff. So, um, we, uh, this is just an example of how you can run two, many people would consider both of these sort of independent careers and you can run them congruently. Um, we're going to take a break right now and then I'm going to come back with the speed round and, uh, ask some difficult questions of our friend, Phil. Um, this is, uh, Vinny Shashovsky, the fit musician, and we will see you in a moment. The speed round with Phil Dillon, our uh, tennis playing, guitar strumming, singing, songwriting, awesome friend. Uh, and and we're gonna do the we're gonna do the speed round now. So this is five questions, six questions maybe. I don't know that I ask uh, everybody that comes on the show. And uh, Phil, I give them the questions a little bit ahead of time, and Phil says he can keep each answer to under an hour. Which is <laughs> Okay, so uh, your one best piece of advice for anybody that would be listening to this podcast. Now, this could be tennis, this could be music, this could be dad, this could be anything. Um, do what you love to do. That's all I have ever done. Yeah. You could talk to anyone I grew up with. They knew what I was going to do. I knew what I was going to do. It was, it was never any question. Yeah. And... Do do what you love, and you'll 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 feel better. You'll look better. You'll just you'll treat people better. You know, it's just 
Yeah. I've found too that if you if you if you follow your passion oftentimes now you have to be able to play you can't just be somebody who goes to a guitar store and buys a guitar and then expects to be a rock star right you have to practice and you have to be able to play you have to have a skill set so if you have those things tenacity discipline then the money will follow you know what I mean if you're worried right. about making a living if you <clears throat> do what you do and you do it with a pure heart the money will follow that's an awesome answer okay and this was one of the ones that Phil pointed out as an impossible question, which I love, and he probably hates. Your favorite band or artist? Well, as I told you earlier, it was Frank Sinatra that sent me off as a singer. But, and then I loved songwriting, even the old, all the old, you know, the, the Johnny Mercers and, and uh, just all those old, old school my mom would play mitch miller records and barbara streisand records and yes. you know so i love songwriters um if if you know anything about me you know that i'm a laura nero butt boy love her music <laughs> always have I, and i i joined the ranks of todd rundgren and elvis costello and 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 um um uh, elton john yeah. who are also laura butt boys um of course the beatles stevie wonder motown i mean it's just every yeah. Too many to name. Yeah. There really are. That's a pretty darn good list, though. If people took that list and got just a compilation record from each one of those, they could they could listen for a long time on a desert island and be yeah. very very happy. Oh, I, I left out Burt Bacharach and Hell oh. David. Those two yes, were pretty indeed. pretty darn good. I love some Bacharach. Okay, um, and this can be anybody. The most influential person in your life, past, present, whatever. Wow. Again, it's multiple people. Of course, my wife, uh, my mom, my kids, yeah. Dave Todoroff, who I told you about, got me into tennis, saw something in me. And, um, yeah, I guess. <clears throat> That's a good list. That's a good list, man. Okay, this is a two-part two-part question. One is professional, one is athletic. Right. Your best piece of professional gear? Uh, for tennis? Well... Just your the best thing that you have, like if you have a '69 Strat that you love, or uh, whatever. You do. Well, that my Gibson uh, Heritage, which is 1968. Uh, it's a it's a beautiful acoustic guitar, Brazilian rosewood, spruce. It's a it's a Martin D28 knockoff, right. and it's it's the best sounding guitar I, I know of. It never leaves the the studio. Though. There you go. That's a yeah. good one. And then the second part of that question is your best piece of athletic gear. Um, I've been with Head Sports for a long, long time, so I got to give them some props. Uh, they've taken good care of me over the years. So they, they make uh, they make your rackets, rackets, and, bags, uh, shoes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and we'll get a link to them so people can mm -hmm. people can check out um, check out that stuff. Well, that's cool. Okay, this is the big dog. This is the one that uh, that makes people cry and laugh and and have a great time. Besides getting married and having kids, which is you know, two of the most positive things that happen to any of us. Um, besides those two events, because that would be the number one and number sure, two. Sure, absolutely. Uh, the most positive event of your life. I thought about this a lot. Um, it would have to be being inducted into the Buffalo Music Hall of Fame. Yeah. And uh, why does that mean so much to you? Well, it's where I'm from. It's, yeah. you know. My peers, yeah, you know, they recognize me. That's awesome, man. Yeah, that's really great. 
And um, your favorite wing place in Buff? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Duffs. <laughs> Sure, we'll have a link to Duff's up later too, in case you're up there. You can tell them, "Give me the Philly Dylan special, baby." Uh, I'm sorry, who? He's in the Hall of Fame. Oh, Phil. No, it's yeah. Mingus Philly. Come yeah, on. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I've had a great time today, Phil. Thank you so much for your time, man, and and uh, and just the great parallels of of your sport that you love so much. I mean, when you when you first started talking about the tennis, man. It, it did sound, and then you started talking about the music. There was exactly the same passion and feeling behind both of those uh, conversations. And that is, that's incredible. You're, you're a lucky dude to have, I mean, let's be honest, fallen right into it. Man. I mean, you know, somebody, people are like, yeah, you're pretty good. Come on, kid. Let me, let me help you out here. In both respects, like, you know, Stuart and all the guys that you know on the musical side of things. And uh, just a, just a real pleasure to hear your story, and uh, I'm hoping that somebody out in, uh, in podcast land can uh, can benefit from this because Me too. if they're if they're super good at a couple things, man, you can turn that into a nice a nice place to live for a long time. That's really great. Uh, my name is Vinny Shishelsky. This is the Fit Musician One. Thank you so much, Phil, for your time today. Thank and, you. Uh, everybody out there, go be awesome.